Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of IVD Heal, a podcast brought to you by High Carb Health. I'm your host, Shakul, and I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Renee Thomas. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love, you know, we did one quite some time ago, and I'm excited to be back. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, there's a video I did with um, Renee in Australia. That was in 2019, the last time we were able mm-hmm. to meet um and um yeah she's done some really cool stuff um and a lot of research on um, a couple of things we really want to talk about today um dr renee has been working in loma linda for a while i don't think you're working there anymore but um you spent a lot of time there and we're with the seventh day adventist population which is a blue zone so we're going to talk about blue zones today um, and, um, and you've also done a good amount of research into IVD and we've got one of your articles on our website, you know, that's one of, our, um, something that we share with all of our clients and, and people who really want to understand the relationship between diet and IVD. And, um, it's a fantastic article. So we'll discuss that as well. Um, but first of all, I'll get you just to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about, you know, um, you know, what you've been doing over the last few years and, 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 um, how things have been in in uh, Loma Linda um, and, and how you kind of got into that. Absolutely, I could talk about that forever, but to start off with you, thank you for the introduction. Uh, I am officially board certified in family medicine, preventive medicine and public health and lifestyle medicine. So I did three board specialties and I did my residency at Loma Linda. So I worked at Loma Linda University Health for five years. Obviously all opinions are my own and none of those of Loma Linda, but I had a wonderful time there. I had amazing doctors that I worked with, wonderful researchers, and an amazing pop, uh, patient population. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I believe, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe the population in Loma Linda, the same day that this population, is the longest living population in the world. It's definitely one of the blue zones. It's the longest mm. living in America, that's for in sure. America. So it's the okay. only blue zone in America and mm-hmm. one of five in the entire world. And it has the most centenarians, so most people living oh. over 100 no, in that's, the entire that's world. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I guess and, the important, um, yeah, the important thing is also to note that they don't only live for a long time; they live well into their old age. Uh, so it's yes. not that we're keeping them alive on ventilators because Limoen is <laughs> a great hospital, which it is. But they're living well. You know, seeing I had patients in their hundreds with you know, the only time they've been hospitalized maybe was to have a baby, like very minimal health problems, and you know, exercising every day and really living um, in good vitality. And I think that's the most important part. We don't want to just live long; we want to optimize all of our years. That's really important, isn't it? It's not how long you live for, it's the quality of those years that you have. And you don't want to spend half your life kind of suffering through having a disease and and, and being on all sorts of different medications and, and kind of just kind of making it through um, and, 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 having, and, and not having a very good quality of life. So I think, how about we start off with, you know, based on your observations, what, what are some of the key indicators to living a long, healthy life and, and having that good quality of life that you're talking about? What would be some of the things that you have to look at? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the coolest things about um, working at Loma Linda is the primary care clinic actually isn't in Loma Linda, where I did my family medicine, uh, like primary care, and I saw all my patients there. It's actually in San Bernardino, which is a completely different population to Loma Linda. It's unfortunately, it's really sad. It's one of the lowest socioeconomic areas in the United States and actually also one of the most violent and dangerous places to live. So it is a completely different population. You basically cross the train tracks and you don't even feel like you're in the same 
country to be done, at least not for me. And I have some interesting stories that I won't share of uh, initially moving there and not knowing that I shouldn't just ride my bicycle into that area. Um, so very, very different population. And I loved my patients at both. I don't get me wrong, loved working at both of them, but it actually gave me that insight into how so many things um, determine your health, in particular, those social determinants of health. And I think that is often left out of these discussions. Obviously, you know, I'm very involved in the nutrition and lifestyle medicine, and I think that is a huge part. The principles of lifestyle medicine go a long way, you know, estimates out there, 80% of your health is your lifestyle. But I think that forgotten part of your zip code and your social economic status and your social determinants of health go a really mm. long way as well. Um, it's very mm. challenging to be healthy when you're in a situation where you're working really long hours just to make, you know, just to make enough. And then mm. you are living in an environment, um, total aside, but I've driven to a lot of the supermarkets there to try and understand the environment and healthy food is challenging in those mm. areas. And it was so interesting to see that divide. You know, I'm at La Melinda and I'm seeing these people 80, 90, super healthy. And then I'm seeing 25 year olds at my clinic who have every chronic disease under the sun. And it was such a stark comparison to be able to do that. And it gave me a lot of insight to answer your question, which I promise mm, I'm getting to. Mm, mm. But, you know, the biggest part, you know, Loma Linda is one of those blue zones. And a lot of it does fit into that kind of power nine that they talk about. So they talk about movement. They talk about having a purpose, um, you know, eating a predominantly plant-based diet. And we can get into that with Loma Linda in particular. Um, talking about you know the importance of family belonging friends that's a lot of the mm. stuff that I did see when I was in Loma Linda in particular mm. just really strong family values really strong mm. friendship groups mm -hmm. moving a lot like I used to go hiking a lot when I lived in Loma Linda there's great hills and hundreds of people biking walking walking just a lot of physical activity the gym is super busy out in the pool they used to have water aerobics with the oldest people I've ever seen doing water aerobics, just a lot of, lot of movement and that um, culture of physical activity as well. Like there's a running group that's huge, just lots and lots of people involved in that physical movement. Um, you know, every, um, every staff member got a free gym membership for the hospital gym and it was a great gym. So lots of priority on fitness. I saw um, nutrition wise. So part of the Seventh-day Adventist faith uh, is a vegetarian diet. And so it's about, uh, at least 50% follow that vegetarian diet and about 50% of the 50%, so 25% actually are strictly like vegan or entirely plant-based. And that's a lot, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. maybe 5% of the US at best versus 25%, 25%, you know, you're talking 50% following a predominantly plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And even the meat eating diets are significantly lower in meat. Um, in Adventist health studies where they looked at it, um, if you only had to eat meat twice a week, to be classified as a full meat eater. Like that wasn't right. even a semi-vegetarian. Semi-vegetarian mm. in Adventist health studies is meat like once a week. So to, you can even put in perspective, that's so much less than a typical Western population. And so that's kind of the big parts. And then obviously faith is huge. So church, um, community, and then family is really, really mm. important. And I think there is a, really it's a spiritual aspect to health. You know, there is a spiritual aspect oh, yeah. to health. I, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter whether it's a religious thing or a spiritual thing or just some kind of... Um, you know some kind of faith that you have with whatever it is that you choose mm -hmm. um but i've noticed it in, in in our work here at high carb health is that you know the people that have some kind of faith something they can hold on to and believe in um they do better you know they they Absolutely. their healing journey is is more effective they they mm -hmm. seem to have you know faster they get better faster 
Um, and then they also are able to maintain their health because they just believe in there's something, something that holds them together, you know, but anyway, carry on. Absolutely. No, I think you're completely <clears throat> right. Um, when I was in medical school, I did a year at Cabrini in, Mel in Melbourne, in Melbourne, mm. and that's a faith-based institute as well. And so I was first introduced to that idea as, you know, faith in medicine and then being mm. at La Melinda, it's a faith-based institute. You know, doctors pray with their patients, there's chaplains and just having that real focus on it. And I mm. think that... It doesn't necessarily have to be a religion per se, but even just believing in yourself, having people yeah. that believe in you can go a long way in your health journey for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so you've talked about, you know, the, the nutrition side of things being predominantly plant-based and, and that's quite fascinating that, you know, even the people that ate meat, I mean, when I was eating a, a standard Western diet or standard American diet, right? Almost every day. I, I, I think there's very, very few days that I wouldn't eat meat you know at least once or maybe twice um sometimes three times you know or more yeah. and um and um so to think that a meat eater co constitutes like twice a week um mm -hmm. would that just be like t two meals in the whole week or would that be yeah is that right there was people that did eat more, but that was yeah. the minimum to be in that classification. Yeah. And knowing that it's so little makes the results of the Adventist Health Study so striking. Because mm. I think when people read it, they think of meat eaters eating meat every day. When in the studies, they really weren't. A lot of them were not yeah. eating it very often, which is crazy. Absolutely. And and you hear this a lot, right? I mean, when you, uh, I don't know, you put, you know, we've both been plant-based for a long time. Um, and, um, you know, when you start talking about it, you know, you, you get the obvious kind of like people that, that, you know, are trying to be healthier, they'll tell you, oh, I only eat a little bit, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? <laughs> yeah. Everyone eats a little bit of meat and everyone eats really well. Every patient eats really well, trust me. I'm like, that's great. Let's talk specifics. Really well means very different things for different people. And that's fine. I'm with mm. everyone on their health journey. I'm not Absolutely. I do no. not care. But, but like, yeah. if you're coming to me for health advice, we gotta go somewhere <laughs> absolutely so you know the whole thing that oh, i only do a little and, and and great if you only do but i mean talk about the the difference between the people that were exclusively on a plant-based diet mm -hmm. and the people that ate a little bit of meat but, <laughs> yeah um, absolutely. And one of the things I also forgot that makes it a really cool study group is the vast majority actually don't smoke cigarettes. Um, Loma Linda is a smoke-free town, which is awesome. Mm. Um, no caffeine and no oh. alcohol. So oh. that's kind of across the board. So you're taking mm. out in a lot of studies, you know, when we look at nutrition studies, what can be challenging is often the people that eat more plant-based tend to exercise more. They tend to not smoke. They tend to not drink. You know, they tend to be more health conscious. Whereas the mm. Adventist health studies, everyone in the study is considered health conscious because they exercise regularly. They eat well by most people's definition. But even if you put the people that ate meat a little bit, as you're talking about, the overall nutrition was pretty good. Not a lot of fast food, not a lot of processed food, mm. um, that kind of thing. So you're kind of taking out a lot of those confounding factors from other studies which makes mm. the nutrition kind of have more credit than other studies like i've seen people argue that before um, mm. so it's, a, it's kind of an important part to put out with the uh, adventist health studies that it's a health conscious population overall and then delineated by their diet mm. so 
that's why you get yeah. good results overall like the average person regardless of their diet that lives in that blue, blue zone lives about 10 years i'm sorry they're 10 times more likely to live to 100 than your average american wow. and their average life expectancy is about 10 years longer than the national average so the yeah. average male lives to 89 and the average woman lives to 91 and as i said they are years in good health i remember meeting a surgeon that was in his 80s and that was just like to think that you can still do and it was a neurosurgeon as well i'm not going to say names or mention anyone they weren't at level <laughs> linda it was a different hospital i rotated at but that was pretty cool and he lived in level linda his entire life so pretty cool there and Incredible. so when we talk about so what are some findings that we have that kind of separate them um, from the others and a lot of the findings in the adventist health study i really like for helping people improve their diet because most of the results are stepwise progressions so because they separated them with it depends which one there's adventist health study one and adventist health study two and they're slightly different but basically they tried to do vegan or entirely plant-based vegetarian uh, pescatarian semi-vegetarian and then non-vegetarian and that's how most of them are classified and you actually see stepwise progressions or stepwise improvements as the diet moves towards being more plant-based which is really cool it's really mm -hmm. nice to think that you know just doing a little better can actually improve your health better so once we can talk about type 2 diabetes it's a really obvious one it's about 60 percent less likely in those following a total um, plant-based or vegan nutritional pattern high blood mm -hmm. pressure being similar about 75 percent less um, cholesterol lowers a awful lot um, you know the risk and then following that lower cholesterol risk for heart disease is about 85% uh, or more or less and then body mass index we talk about I know that there's some flaws with the body mass index but the actual only group that falls hmm. within a healthy weight range is those that are entirely plant-based yeah. and given kind of the obesity epidemic in America for multitude of reasons mm. it's kind of interesting to see that they are the only ones that fall into yeah. that group the average woman weighs about 40 pounds less than the non um non-vegetarian adventist woman so pretty significant that's that's there. quite a bit and i think you know with bmi i think for each if you took it on an individual basis yeah there, there's some flaws but if you're if you're you know kind of extrapolating it over a population i think you can get some really good um good information out of that um because Which is actually you know, what the BMI is designed for. It was only yeah. ever designed to be used on a population level. And it had something to do, I believe it had to do with the rations, like who should get the most rations. And so they looked at BMI. It was never designed to be used on a personal level. So mm. the reason we do that is kind of foolish. Things like waist circumference and body fat is a lot more accurate for health. But unfortunately, mm. it's, it seems like it's here to stay for some time. But it is yeah. helpful looking at population groups. So I'll just, I'll just go back to what you said before, <laughs> that in the Adventist group, there was a difference of about 40 pounds between the person that ate a predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet and the non-vegetarian population. Correct. And these non-vegetarian populations ate quite small amounts of meat compared to what the standard American person would be eating. Correct. Yes? To be classified in that high meat, the highest meat group, you only mm. had to consume meat twice a week. And there's still a 40 pound difference in weight mm -hmm. and yep. just for that, that's, that's quite incredible. That's yep. quite incredible. It's quite significant. And that's for a female too. So the, mm. um, it's probably even more for males because, because male males tend to weigh more. So the range can be larger. Mm. Very interesting. I just remember the female one off the top of my head because <laughs> I counsel a lot of women. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And you know, men. If I told men, oh, they weigh fifty pounds less, they go, but I want to be big. You know, women. If I tell them they weigh less, they're down for that. So that's why I know the women's statistic off my heart. <laughs> um, okay. And what what other observations did you did you could you see in in the differences um, between the the dietary patterns there? 
Absolutely. I think that going back to when I had the separate clinics, that can be really helpful too, because I was able to use plant-based nutrition as intervention. And that seemed to be able to, for a lot of people, cut that barrier and that difference in health just by changing nutrition. And a lot of them were limited in many ways. Like I said, you can't change your zip code, you can't change your job, you can't really change you know, things like that overnight. And mm. a lot of them were very limited in exercise because it wasn't safe for them to say walk outside. They couldn't afford a gym membership. So all we were doing was changing the nutrition. And that's when I was working with WIC, the women, infants and children's. It's one of the um, food uh, supplementation financial things in the US um, for women that are pregnant or have children under five and for the five-year-olds. And we worked together to do a uh, health promoting uh, plant-based nutritional plan for them that would be less than $4 per day. And with the WIC, it came down to less than $3 a day if they were eligible for that. And so, and that was really because I, I actually started asking my patients, I said, how much money do you have to spend on food per week? And a lot of them were saying $30 or less. So I had to find something I could, you know, there's the kind of this myth in the US where whole foods is the only way to eat plant-based. And I love whole foods, but it is, you know, a little expensive. And mm. a lot of these... But honestly, it's it's the more refined processed foods that are more expensive. And so it's a very basic uh, uh, plant-based nutrition plan. And that's why I was going to all those supermarkets, as I mm. mentioned earlier, because I had to see what was for sale. I couldn't say, oh, go and get, I don't know, cherries or something, but they don't sell them. It's very basic. So we had to kind of work with what we had. Mm. And being able to use that, I used it for a lot of type 2 diabetics in particular did well, hypertension, kind of your real chronic lifestyle-based diseases. Mm. Um, and I was able to see them get well. And it was really cool to see that it's not, you don't have to live in a blue zone. You know, you don't have to be raised that way. A lot of it, honestly, a lot of it came down to what they were eating mm. and changing to that, you know, Loma Linda style nutrition plan improved the health of those not living there. Mm, absolutely. And, and you hear, you hear this a lot as well that, oh, you know, plant-based diets are very expensive. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, any diet can be expensive depending on the different types of uh, foods or products that you choose to purchase but yep. what because people who are listening to this may be interested in saving some money i mean who mm -hmm. isn't right so um what were the types of foods that these people were eating that were enabling them to eat for three dollars a day mm -hmm. i actually have <laughs> it for free on my website so i can always give you the link for that we'll it's definitely be linking that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it, it isn't a downloadable PDF. I will do that one day when I learn more about my website. But at the moment, it is up there just as a blog post. But it's, it kind of goes back to the basics of what I recommend eating for health for most people. Um, fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes. That's, you know, they're some of the cheapest foods out there as it is. And you can lower those costs even further by, you know, not getting the pre-made rice, you know, buying a big bulk bag of brown rice um, mm -hmm. instead of getting canned beans buying you know the dried ones yeah it's a little more inconvenient to cook them but if, if saving money is your priority not saving time then you can mm. cut the cost a lot there and mm. then fruits and vegetables wise um you know going to discounted stores i went to like you know dollar store sells even organic fruits and vegetables which was crazy um you know frozen vegetables are you know mm. just as nutritious for people if it's the difference between not eating them and eating them go ahead you know don't buy fresh berries frozen berries are so much cheaper things like that and just looking at you know what's on sale and i also figured out what times of day and you know what day of the week was cheaper and things like that and it can actually make a really big difference when you're really tight for money yeah i mean that's something that I've, we've implemented like we buy a lot of things in bulk you know because we know mm -hmm. we're going to eat a lot you know of things like potatoes and sweet potatoes mm -hmm. and bananas and and mm -hmm. rice and that you box know, of banana life box of banana life is still going <laughs> um but um also like things that are in season right 
So fruits oh, yeah, that are in season sure. are going to be way cheaper than mm-hmm. than things that aren't. Um, so mm-hmm. when it's mango season, go and buy mangoes. Don't buy mangoes out of season when it's like $8 a mango or something like that, you know? So. Mm-hmm. And eating locally as well. Like California yeah. was great. There's a lot of fresh produce in there California. Is. There's yes. actually a lot even you can just pick up trees, um, you know, available. And that was one thing a lot of my um, patients were doing too, which is cool. Mm. But, you know, buying California oranges, don't buy. I saw the other day, believe it or not, I saw Australian oranges in the store. And I'm like, why do we have Australian oranges? <laughs> why are you why are you here who invited you <laughs> but like and they were triple the price of mm. the california oranges and i'm like well that makes sense because you have to ship them across the country but also i i don't know like it seems crazy to me so eating locally and eating seasonal buying in bulk and getting you know frozen things mm. on sale um can make a huge difference and a lot of people didn't realize that they were eligible for food discount which was another big thing so i started asking people like hey have you looked in you know we have i think it's cow fresh snap and then wick and a lot mm. of people were eligible for it they didn't even know and that can go mm. a long way you know some of those vouchers are 40 dollars for fruits and vegetables per week like that's a huge Whoa. so now they went from a budget of 30 dollars per week to now they have 70 dollars a week like double the more than double the budget yeah exactly that automatically improves your nutrition so Mm -hmm. and one of my biggest gripes is one of my biggest gripes is why is healthy food more expensive in in a lot of times i mean we know that there's subsidies for Mm -hmm. these industries that make that produce again that also boggles my mind like why are we subsidizing unhealthy food and not subsidizing the healthy food um especially in australia I mean, I can't tell you how much berries I ate when I moved to California and what Mm. used to cost me $12 in Australia now cost me two. So Mm. I don't know what's happening in Australia with the produce market there, but it's, there's gotta be some markup somewhere and I I don't know where it's coming from, but a punnet of blueberries shouldn't cost $12 in anyone's world, but then I also Mm. feel bad for the farmers because they're probably not getting it either. So I don't know where that's coming from, but it is really sad that mm. there is those subsidies, um, you know, mm. those checkoffs and subsidies going yeah. towards foods that are not promoting health. For people. Yeah. I mean, in season, they are cheaper. I think you can get blueberry, like a, it's only a small punnet, though, 125 grams of blueberries for, sometimes you can get them for $3 for that oh, yeah. small punnet. But, um, um, but it's still like, you know, when you compare it to like, you know, if I go to Audi, for example, and I get 500 mm-hmm. grams of blueberries for $5, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, big difference. it makes, makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so in terms of what you were seeing, I'm really fascinated because one of, one of my goals is to live a very healthy life. And I don't care how long I live. I just want to be healthy until the time comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so what were you seeing in these older people who you know had a very healthy dietary pattern what were the differences in the way they were living their life and what they were able to do physically compared to mm-hmm. to maybe another 80 year old who's who's been on a more standard american diet and is on lots of medications and and you know they're still the same age but there's there's differences isn't there yeah absolutely um it's it's honestly it's a completely different uh picture that you paint i mean if we talk about you're kind of, let's go with like your typical following the standard American diet. 
let's say they're 50, right? And they've come into my office for an annual physical. And mm. I talk to them, you know, I do their vitals, their blood pressure's high most of the time. Not crazy, but it's 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 up there. It's higher than it should be. You know, mm. we go over their basic labs, their cholesterol's high. Um, sometimes as they're getting older, you know, you might see renal function or kidney function decline a little bit. Um, you know, there's often anemia because there's something else going on in the body. Um, B12 is often low um, and they're just, the labs are not painting a great picture. There's often chronic inflammation. If I don't have diet, if they don't have diabetes already, there's pre-diabetes or insulin resistance, just setting up for this difficultness. And then, like I said, high blood pressure, um, typically overweight. The average American is overweight um, or obese, which is challenging. Um, that contributes to a whole lot of other health problems. And then what, what am I, what else am I doing? You know, and then we start going through and there's often an autoimmune disease going on. The amount of people I saw with autoimmune diseases and my primary care clinic was mind blowing. Um, and I think it just comes down to all those factors playing in. It's an unhealthy environment. You know, they're not eating well, they're not physically active. They're not, a lot of them were in very sad and difficult situations, be that family or financial or work-wise. And a lot of um, mental health comes with that, depression, anxiety, um, drug use, overuse of alcohol. And I would see someone that's 50 and they're like, if they're not able to do even close to what the 80 year old is doing, you know, the 80 year old comes in, let's say they're coming in for their annual physical, they have almost no medical, sorry, before I even go into that, the biggest part was how are they feeling? Tired, mm. sluggish, fatigued, low motivation, you know, chronic digestive problems, you know, constipation, GI upset, nausea, you know, um, joints are hurting, necks hurting, headaches, poor vision, um, shortness of breath, you know, I could, skin problems, you know, mm. acne, psoriasis, it just goes on and on and on. The body is just not doing okay. And it's really sad. And I loved my job in a way because there were so many things that could get better. And it was, mm. it was very motivating to come to work because I felt like I was doing something. And I had a really good bond with a lot of my patients because we had so, they could get so much better. I worked there for nearly five years. And mm. so some of them I had for five years, I'd, you know, deliver their baby, see them five years later. There's a lot of really cool things going on there. Um, but it was such a different person. So mm. going on to what I was saying with the other person, they're just coming in because they think it's a good idea to get an annual physical. It's very <laughs> encouraged in the United States. And, you know, I look at their labs and they're perfect. Their cholesterol's in that, you know, that less than 150 kind of heart mm. attack proof number that gets talked about. Um, you know, their A1C or their diabetes markers are normal. Their metabolic panel, their complete blood count, everything looks great. I have nothing I can tell them on their labs other than good work. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Clearly it's working for you because you're 80, you know, and then they, you know, they're just, there's energy, there's sprightliness, they you know, clear skin, clear, you know, clear, bright eyes, good dental hygiene, feeling good. The skin is clear. There isn't like rashes and itchiness and things going on there. You know, hair, hair is gray, but it's silky and it looks great. And a lot of them had long hair still, which you don't see a lot, in a lot you know, because it was healthy. It was thick. It could grow long, you know, slim with muscle definition, able to get out of their chair. It sounds like a crazy thing to say, but one of the number one reasons to go into a nursing home is not able to get out of the chair, you know, and that it, it's such a small thing, but it's something I focus on because that can be independent life versus not if you can't get out of the chair. You know, they kind of spring out of their chair, they're exercising regularly, they're social, they're happy. And it's such a different population, really, really was. And that's not to say that that's exclusive. That's a very generalization. But, you know, you kind of ask the question, that would be the stereotypical difference that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important for people listening to this to realize that, you know, um, even 
with the way we've been able to um, you know, create medical technology to help people live a longer life, it doesn't mean they're living a comfortable life, you know? Um, and so uh, it's very prudent for people to realize that, you know, we, if we think about our diet and our lifestyle as a whole package, and we say, well, you know, what do we want when we get to 50? Do we want to be that person that you were explaining that has all these issues? And, and you know, no matter what, how you try and spin it, they're not really comfortable the majority of the time, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I remember almost 10 years ago when I was 27, and I was on mm -hmm. four different medications, mm -hmm. right? You know, I was antibiotics for acne. I had this fungal mm -hmm. thing on my foot. I had um headaches you know there's one other one as well i can't really remember but um hay fever <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah and that's right. totally normal that's a normal 27 year old these days like that's yeah. not even that's not even abnormal it's very normal and yeah. the thing is like that person often doesn't want to be there either but they don't know a way out and i think that a lot of times there's a lot of yeah. blame thrown like oh that person's yeah. you know lazy no, and they eat bad. but they're they're usually doing what they think is best it's just unfortunate that they, yeah. they don't know how to be yeah. healthy and i'm sure yeah. you probably fell in that category i thought i was healthy you know when i got my labs mm -hmm. the doctor said good work you know <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so i looked my blood work was fine but mm -hmm. i wasn't fine on the inside you know and i looked fine i was going to the gym you know like you know reasonably muscly all that kind of stuff and um and yeah on the outside you wouldn't know anything was wrong but i had yeah. headaches and migraines and you know I, I would dread every time spring came around because i'd you know like spraying the stuff on my nose and <laughs> sneezing i mean i still get a bit of hay fever now and then but it's nowhere near like i used to be like non-stop sneezing and mm -hmm. runny nose and stuff like that and um so to see the difference in my life now where I'm on no medication I, I mean I haven't taken a Panadol for nine years you know wow, um awesome. you know I haven't taken a pill for nine years <laughs> um and just like now I'm nearly I'll be 30 oh it'll be this year 37 36 or 37 this year mm -hmm. um I can't remember I must be I think it's 30, yeah, 37 this year um and like it's um to think that it's me 10 years since I was that person i feel better now than when i was 27 mm -hmm. you know and That's it just easy. blows my mind to think that my health has actually improved from my 20s when normally you don't see that happening um and uh, it's a very very kind of interesting um explanation of how someone who's 80 you know like even though that's that's a numbers and age like physiologically they're actually younger than the person who's 50 you know like in terms of their overall well-being um that's fascinating it's crazy and i think that you know even though for you you started relatively young 27 is relatively young yeah <laughs> i think it's important to note that it actually doesn't matter it's never too late to start never too late. you know and i think there's two important things that you had said that i noted is it's not a cure-all like you still get some hay fever right and i'm very open with people because i still get asthma uh mm. you know a lot of people grow plant-based and don't get asthma unfortunately that wasn't for me but i can only imagine how bad it would be if i wasn't like, because I see what happens when people go plant-based, severe asthma goes plant-based, almost always gets better. Mm. I couldn't imagine being that person that was doing that. So I think it's important to note that like, it may not be a cure-all, but a lot of things get better. Sometimes you have a little bit that sticks, but mm. some things you completely resolve. Like mm. you say, your headaches completely resolved, right? You just got stuck with a little hay fever. Cool. Yeah. Totally different life. But my and hay then, fever now mm -hmm. is better 
than when mm -hmm. I used to take, I don't take medication for it and it's exactly. better than when I used to take medication for it and that's that's right. mind-blowing for me yeah exactly exactly so and I think that's so important it's like mm. because you'll hear oh you still have hay fever it's like yeah but it's so minimal that I like don't even care about it anymore mm. and mm. then to think uh what I think is important because sometimes people think oh I'm old you know it's too late for me and it's really not and we see that in so many of the studies especially um Dr. Esselstein's heart disease mm. some of those people were 80 <laughs> and they were <laughs> only just starting their health journey at 80 and they got well and they lived longer and lived healthier and they felt better than they when they were much younger and I think it's really cool and I have I have seen some amazing health transformations especially in later life and mm. it's just life-changing for them they say I feel better than I did when I was a teenager and it's so cool to see and I think that that's just so important is like never give up like it, it, it mm. always gets better and sometimes things take time I think some people want that magic bullet you know they we live in medicine being antibiotic age where you know a pill for every ill and it doesn't quite work that way it might take some time but it continues to improve and sometimes people don't think they're making changes and then you look back and you're like oh wow like I'm totally different and I think that's mm. really important to recognize mm. never too late always gets better <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think um, moving on to our, the, the other topic that we wanted to discuss today, um, we'll, we'll kind of touch on it briefly, um, but I think for our audience, especially, they're very interested in, in, your, in some of the research and the studies. Um, you were talking about you know, that, that 50-year-old that comes in, all sorts of digestive issues. I think the majority of people have digestive issues, but don't, just, they just normalize it. Okay, that's just... Mm -hmm supposed to happen or that's it's okay or whatever you know um i had lots of digestive issues um you know we don't publicize that as much as what my brother's story is because he had the mm -hmm. he had the extreme version of you know uh, uh, the digestive issues but um you know even at, at, in my in my 20s I, I had lots of issues with my digestion mm -hmm. and um you know that's all resolved um but um let's go through the relationship between diet and ibd because so many people go to the gi and it is changing slowly, but the mass majority of GIs will say diet has nothing to do with your IBD. Um, and it's kind of like I was talking to Dr. Clapper a couple of days ago, and he was like, how can, how can something that's literally in contact with that part of your body not have anything to do with your disease? And um, so let's go through like some of the main things. Um, and I think, you know, in, when you wrote your article, um, there was a recent study by Dr. Have you seen that one by Dr. Chiba, the mo most recent release that he came out with, where he's Probably. tracking people on plant-based diet for five years, and yes. after five years of intervention, there was eighty-eight percent of them that still stayed in remission. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Very I think that's cool. that's huge. You know, when you and when you think about yeah. the fact that most um, biologic drugs have an efficacy rate of thirty-five percent, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that's yeah. a big difference. So let's let's just talk about what are some of the stuff you found and 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 kind of you know you know yeah what what the research showed when you'd actually looked into the topic of diet and IBD. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's so sad that we live in this world. We have immunosuppressants, immunotherapy, you know, monoclonals, chemotherapy. There's so many biological agents, so many things, you know, then they try and suppress the symptoms. You've got steroids, you've got your mm. corticoids, you know, just all these treatments. And unfortunately, sustained remission has not yet happened using all of these things. And I'm definitely not anti them. I think people should mm. try whatever works for them, especially in the beginning. Sometimes it's hard to just calm things down before the nutritional start mm. working. Mm. But we're looking at symptom relief 
potentially some short remission and preventing progression. We're not looking at that curative mm. or that sustained mm. uh, remission, which is, you know, it's really sad. And I'm glad to see that it is moving. And I totally agree with what Dr. Clapper is saying. Nutrition is a multiple time per day exposure. Even if you're taking medications, you're eating more often than you're taking your medication. <laughs> so it's like, it's so crazy. It's the same as saying, if I put something on my skin, it's not going to matter. Like, of course it matters. Mm. So I guess, you know, my article is long. I have another article that I wrote that I haven't put out yet as well. So oh, there's so many things. Well, you have to send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was more, I tried to summarize it. And so I'll try and, you know, kind of go over it, but it looks hmm. at your general patterns. So let's talk general patterns, things like high animal products. We find that from traditional Asian, traditional Af traditional African cultures, almost no IBD. Even around war times and famine times, things like IBD got much better because the you know, meat was animal products are rationed at that time. Hmm. What do those foods do? They're increasing your pro-inflammatory parts of your body, your interleukin-6, your C-reactive protein, your homocysteine versus something like whole grains and fruits, which lower them. We look at that Western dietary pattern. What's it full of? Calories, fats, animal protein, salt, refined sugars, processed foods. What's it low in? Fruits, vegetables, fibers. And we see a significant correlation with those types. And it's just the way that it, there's so many reasons why it directly increases inflammation it alters that immune um, balance that cd4 regulatory t-cells as well that are so important in the autoimmune disease process your intestinal microbiota or microbiome as you know it's kind of more commonly known as you know even indirectly increasing body fat mass which is pro-inflammatory and in and of itself just all of those things combined are just a recipe for disaster if we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease and the start of it so yeah you know, kind of going into your food groups to keep it more clarified, you know, your fast foods, highly processed, high fat, high sugar, all of those patterns have found significant differences. We're talking, you know, 300% increases in things like Crohn's and colitis, just from looking at that dietary pattern compared to someone following a more plant-based uh, dietary pattern. Similarly, um, high sugar consumption, again, you know, your risk ratios are 2.6, which is almost, again, it's like over 250% more likely to have inflammatory mm. bowel diseases. Mm. And just to, fat, that's not sugar from fruit. That's not sugar from fruit. We'll just no, we're talking because, refined sugar. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I forget because I talk about it so much. Yeah, no, yeah. We're talking processed refined sugars. And honestly, when we see studies of sugar, it's almost always combined with saturated fat. And I like to point that out to people because no one is eating table sugar really to an extent. And that's not causing the problem. I believe it's because it's combined with saturated fat. You know, the, the study that they talk about a lot, no one's going to eat cream. No one's going to eat sugar, mix them together and everyone's going to eat ice cream. And that's why I think that sugar gets so kind of thrown under the bus a lot. But no, we're absolutely not talking. Fruit is on the complete other side. We're talking about the bad stuff right now um, or the stuff that should be minimal. Fruit is yeah. the complete opposite. No, the only reason I mentioned that, I mean, the only yeah. reason I mentioned that is because some, because a lot of people talk about fruit and, and sugar and they just say, oh, fruit has sugar, so don't eat fruit. Um, oh. And so, yeah, you haven't heard that? That's, that's, that's uh, quite never, a... never, no, of course <laughs> okay. no. Fruit, fruit is completely different. I mean, you look at <clears throat> the number one thing that can improve the health. I mean, I'm more familiar with American studies now, but the number one thing that improves American health is eating more fruit. It's the number one risk factor <clears throat> for disease and number one, sorry, number one risk reduction for disease and yes. number one associated with longevity is fruit consumption. Fruit consumption, yeah. Yep. It's, the, it's the one, not, like. <laughs> yeah, not eating enough fruit is the number one risk factor for all sorts mm -hmm. of different things it's, un, it's yeah. unreal yeah 
Absolutely. Um, okay, let's carry on. Um, so, no, that's yeah. important. Thank you for stopping me because. And maybe we'll just kind of do a little risk. recap here. So, mm -hmm. um, the things that increase your risk factors for IBD mm -hmm. is animal proteins, high fat diets, um, refined processed foods, refined mm -hmm. sugars. Um, and um, another thing that can do it as well is, is, is having your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it gets debated. Omega-3s are such a hot topic and that fatty acid balance gets debated all the time. I was taught the two pathways that compete with each other. You have omega-6 on one side, pro-inflammatory, omega-3 on the other side, anti-inflammatory, and they use similar... Um, their enzymes to get them to to go ahead to their next steps mm. and i was always told that they they compete and so if you have too much in omega-6 it's pro-inflammatory and you're not able to create enough omega-3 especially on a plant-based diet when you're relying on say arachidonic acid to go to omega-3 if you consume too much omega-6 you're lowering your omega-3 that's what i was always taught i've seen mm. some new research that tries to debate that i haven't seen mm. anything convincing because i see that people that have a better ratio are much healthier and they do much better mm. so until i see more convincing research and more convincing clinical yeah. actual because you also see the thing where like something that's in a research study isn't always clinically relevant. And by clinically re relevant, I mean, is it improving someone's health and are they feeling better? Because that's what's yeah. more important to me. Like my patients don't care what the studies say. They just want to feel good. You know, mm -hmm. they want their labs to look good. They want their health to feel good. Mm -hmm. And they want to feel like they're healthy people. Well, so I, think, I, I, I think where this whole omega-3 thing is coming from is that mm -hmm. because people are consuming such a, a diet so high in omega-6, the ratio is so out of whack. And instead of telling people to reduce their omega-6 to improve the ratio, we're telling them to, to supplement with omega-3 so their ratio mm -hmm. can get better. And I think, mm -hmm. well, okay, that's fine, but you're still eating these and these foods high in omega-6, then you know they don't want too much of that. So why don't we mm -hmm. instead of say, okay, well, let's make your diet healthier. Let's reduce the omega-6 mm -hmm. so that your, your ratio improves. And then automatically you'll get better absorption of omega-3 anyway, because as you said, that, that pathway competes um absolutely so. we see the same with studies on low-fat diets and they're 35 percent fat and they're saying a low-fat diet doesn't work i'm like 35 percent was never a low-fat diet and it completely you know and you see it goes from clinical stuff clinical study to headline that sensationalism you know low-fat diets don't work i'm like hold on we didn't study a low-fat diet where, yeah. where what happened you know yeah, before yeah. medicine i was a journalist i know all the tricks of the trade <laughs> so <laughs> trust me i know what we write and it's not what yeah. the clinical study said so. yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah so uh, and what did the research say um i guess as we finish off the the session um sure. what does the research show that's going to be helpful to prevent and treat um, people you know, people got ibd like ulcerative colitis and crohn's disease absolutely i mean <clears> the <throat> biggest one that i think is important and i know that you guys know this but it's addressing <laughs> a huge myth is increased fiber intake and that mm. fiber not coming from supplements that fiber coming from fruit and vegetable intake whole grains, beans, and legumes as tolerated. And, you know, I kind of go through um, in the article how you get there because a lot of people, especially in acute illness, cannot just go, they can't just go ahead and eat beans and rice. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but moving towards that, so prevention, 100%, that's what prevention, you know, as plant-based as possible, um, focusing on those four foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, best you can do for prevention, keeping everything else a bare minimum. Obviously, mm. you know, I tell people generally follow the least restrictive diet that gets you healthy because you don't need to go to extremes. But my version of extreme is different to other people's version of extreme. I think the majority of people should eat as well as they possibly can. 
And so yeah. that's kind of your number one thing is increase. And that fiber thing I mentioned, because often people with inflammatory bowel diseases are told to decrease their fiber. And it's kind of in the beginning, it feels good, right? Because the gut is so sensitive that, you know, some of those softer, lower fiber foods, they don't hurt. White rice can be a good example for a lot of people. It doesn't hurt, but you're hurting yourself in the long term because you're not feeding your gut microbiome. You're not providing those prebiotics to be able to have a healthy gut population that will mm. keep you in remission or prevent you from the problems getting worse. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Eat more plants basically, but yeah, a very important thing that you mentioned there because when you've got um, active disease in the body, you have a lot of bleeding, you have a lot of diarrhea and, 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 and frequency of stills is quite high. You have to be quite careful about what you eat. And, and so what we do is we say, um, first of all, especially if you're coming from a meat heavy diet, let's cut out the, the worst offenders first and, mm -hmm. and, and get to a, you know, a plant-based diet that still has a reasonable amount of variety because you're coming from a mm -hmm. varied oh, yeah. diet, but also kind of, some of the softer fibers and the more easier to digest fibers let's cut out like raw vegetables and leafy greens you know let's get Absolutely. those rougher kind of things out of your system um and and focus mainly on um like soft fruits for breakfast or maybe like even a smoothie for breakfast to start your day and then and then you go to um meals that are cooked predominantly cooked but you know you're focusing on potatoes and sweet potatoes and pumpkins and squash and things soft cooked veggies like broccoli and you know mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of brown rice um if, if you can tolerate it um and then from there depending on how your symptoms resolve if you need to go on a more restrictive diet then you can transition towards that until mm -hmm. you get some kind of remission and once you've got that remission and the you know the bleeding stopped and and you're feeling better then you can start to slowly phase in the different foods till you've kind of got to a very sustainable way of eating so that's kind of how i how we do it and it's very effective it's just it's amazing how how people get better it's it's incredible mm -hmm. absolutely <laughs> yeah. it's it's virtually the same as what i do very very similar it's like mm. had great results and like you say and the 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 patients themselves as well as sometimes me like it's incredible the humans the human humans ability oh my gosh i can't talk the human <laughs> body's ability to heal when given the right fuel when mm -hmm. placed in the right environment is incredible and I mm. always whenever someone would come to see me no matter how sick they are I'm like believe in your human body's ability to heal give mm. it the right things you know eat the right food move your body sleep well reduce your stress have a purpose and have your support system and you will go a long way no matter how sick you are you Absolutely. will improve you can't you're you're doing all the right things and we mm. know in life when you do the right things it eventually pays off yeah, and people ask us all the time, like, you know, you, you will get a question saying, oh, this is what's going on in my life right now. Should I start now or should I wait until I'm like, there's never a bad time to start eating healthier. You know, like, just make, uh, you know, like, it's never the wrong time to make healthier choices in your life. So, yeah, the best time to start, well, maybe it was five years ago, maybe even longer than that. But the second best time to start is right now, you know, yeah. Absolutely. I know I always I always sound I feel a little silly but people are like when's the best time for me to start I was like yesterday <laughs> but it's okay because you're here now so we're going to start today <laughs> but you're totally yeah. right and I think that that gets missed is that um even you know there's even studies showing that eating well and doing whatever you can actually helps you mentally cope with mm. stress and mm. have different responses to stress so even if you're at the worst time of your life 
eating food that isn't fueling your body well is only worsening the problem. So mm. whatever you can do, and maybe you just pick one thing to prioritize. Maybe you just, you're going to work on eating less meat or something like all of those things add up and you'll actually be able to cope better than if you mm. just ate whatever and ate stress, stress promoting foods, you know? Absolutely. And then, you know, who wants to be stressed out and have digestive problems at the same time? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like a vicious cycle. Then you're stressed yeah. out. Now you've got digestive system. Now you're stressed out by your digestive system, you know, <laughs> digestive problems. And yeah, it's just right. like, it just compounds, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Like it's going to be yeah. a lot better if you don't have those digestive yeah. problems. And, and something we do talk about is like the relationship with your mind. And, you know, the, the, the vagus nerve is connected to the, to the brain oh, and the yeah. gut. And, mm -hmm. and so you know, just starting to shift your mind and find more peace in your life can actually mm -hmm. reduce your symptoms. And, and you'd be surprised to see how much of a difference that makes in people's lives. Um, just trying to- We are to a connected system, that's for take sure. Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just start with taking a deep breath and just trying to stay calm as, as long as you possibly can. And, and, that, and that, mm -hmm. that definitely helps. Um, absolutely you're totally right i mean we like the crazy things you have to learn are the parts of the body in medical school but the thing that always stands out to me is we're all connected the nervous system goes from the top to the bottom everything is connected you can't do one thing <clears> in the <throat> human body because we're all connected we're all we're not a robot. All one. that sounds yeah. really hippie we're no, all no, no, no. <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like as a, bio a biological system we're all connected so mm. it's yeah i mean i always tell something there's something wrong in one part of the body there's something wrong everywhere because it's it, it doesn't just work like it's we're not a robot we're not like compartmentalized um and so you have to the solution is holistic you have to look at the whole body and 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 do the things that are going to resolve the, the root cause of the problem which is manifesting in a particular area you know um, absolutely and unfortunately medicine has become very compartmentalized and it's because it's become so advanced that you can't yes. expect one doctor to know everything about every body part mm. but looking at the whole picture is usually how you get to the root of the problem so it's yeah. very, challenge. it's very challenging yeah yeah that's why i think lifestyle medicine that needs to be that needs to be really um, promoted a lot more um, in the medical field like you still have your specialist for a specific thing but i think the first thing someone should do is be seen by a lifestyle practitioner who can give them something to do over, like an overall solution and and yeah try this first and then and then if it doesn't resolve then we can go and see the specialist you know if, or if you don't feel better in a you know in a couple of months and come back again and we'll kind of get you to a specialist but yeah it's not the way it Absolutely. is 100% at the moment yeah it needs to change. I mean, it's growing in the United States now. A lot of the curriculum, the residencies are teaching the LMRC or lifestyle medicine residency curriculum. So residents right. in America are your post post-medical school training it's a little bit different like in names to australia and new zealand but mm. you're basically called a resident the whole time you're in training here and mm. in that they're giving a two-year course on lifestyle medicine to all residents Fantastic. and it's a lot like it's a couple of hours a week and Fantastic. that's teaching to be that foundation um they're mm. teaching in medical school at loma linda even in medical school you can do a lifestyle medicine track um, a lot of the residency programs like including mine had a lifestyle mm. medicine track it's really mm. becoming that baseline. And then if you do the lifestyle medicine residency curriculum, um, you're eligible to take your board exam and board certified mm. in lifestyle mm. medicine. So it is yeah. growing. Yeah. Um, it's And it makes such a difference. My research was with teaching medical students about it. And they not only change their professional behaviors with their patients, they change their personal behaviors as well, just going through it. So you're having healthier doctors. And we know from the studies, a healthier doctor is more likely 
to talk to their patients about a healthy lifestyle. With you, like a doctor that exercises or a doctor that eats well is more likely to tell their patients to do that. And it just keeps going. Mm. You know, people get healthier and it's Yeah, I mean, it's, really, it's really so really much more rewarding, stuff. right? Like you don't come into medicine to just be a, a dispenser of drugs <laughs> or medication, right? You want to come in there to make people, to make an impact on people's lives. I mean, I don't think I know any doctor who actually decided to go into medicine to just to write prescriptions. Like yeah. um, we go in there because we want to get people to be healthy. And I'm, I'm very lucky in what I do. I get to see from the beginning to the end, a lot of the, you mm -hmm. know, very intensive. Um, and, you know, when I talk to doctors like, I wish I could do that. Um, but like with lifestyle medication, lifestyle medicine, you get the opportunity to actually impact someone's life in a much more positive way, which I think is, is, I mean, that's why so many more doctors are being drawn to it, right? Absolutely. I mean, some of the rotate, like when you're going through training, you, you rotate a lot through different mm. areas. And some days, honestly, I felt like a receptionist and a pill dispenser. All mm. I was doing all day long was writing prescriptions, sitting, I would sit at a computer for eight hours a day, typing and answering phone calls. That was all I did and answering pages all day long. I, did, I, I saw my patients for maybe, maybe 10 minutes each. And that would be a good day. Some of them two minutes. And that was all the only time, this is mostly like hospital based. That would be the only time I even saw my patients. And then the rest of the time I was like, you know, looking at labs, you know, ordering electrolytes, ordering medications. And I, I do love it because it still helps people get better, but I don't get that same reward of, I say this is a joke, but like my favorite day is when my patients don't need me anymore because they're mm -hmm. well. And it's such a, it's such a rewarding thing when I go from, I have, lots and lots of people but I used to see them all the time because they were so sick I'd be every week they'd be on my schedule sometimes mm. twice a week and wow. I didn't care because I knew they needed it and I would see them so much and then it would you know it'd be once a month and then it was once every three months and then two years later I'd see them I'm like why are you here and they're like oh I had a baby and you're like wow <laughs> like you're you're healthy and it's so yeah. it's the best thing that they've taken control of their own life and they don't need to be at the doctor all the time I mean mm -hmm. we're still here if you need us if you have an accident or something but it, it's so much more rewarding for me mm -hmm. personally to mm -hmm. see that journey and that now they're well it's so cool absolutely and, and that's that's the best thing that's what I love is is about what, what we have the opportunity to do in our line of work is actually make a positive impact on people's health and 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 get, let them to take control when they get when you take you know, when someone takes control of their own health now i i have that power it's just it's incredible yeah it's just beautiful it okay. is yeah. and going back to stress so much less stressful you don't have to worry about your refills or your doctor mm -hmm. canceling on you your doctor running late it's cheaper being hospitalized yeah. older yeah, yeah and cheaper and <laughs> lots and lots of health insurance in america is expensive <laughs> you know it's definitely cheaper so yeah, yeah i mean yeah. your job i i absolutely love what you guys are doing it's like so changing the lives of so many people and it's mm. just oh, every single person needs to go and see you guys now. those <laughs> kind of, no but seriously i yeah. have, i tell a lot of patients about your program you have great resources out there mm. um you know it's, it's absolutely works it's like what's yeah, what have you got to lose yeah. you're just I eating mean, healthier you really don't have anything to lose yeah absolutely <laughs> no side right. effects like a lot of the no side effects <laughs> yep no side effects <laughs> all right well you know look thank you so much for your time we've gone a little bit over time but thank you so much for taking the time to share share oh, this information oh no no i mean um it's um it's 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 such important information you know i mean i, I could probably we could probably go on for another hour but you know <laughs> we've got things to, you know we've got people to see but um look it's um like yeah, so the, the the research that you shared and, and the the experiences because i think people relate to experiences 
more than actual studies is, is really important to see the observations that you've had. Um, and um, and please send me that article that you've yes. you've written. Um, I'd love to read it. Um, but um, for everyone who's been uh, watching or, or on YouTube or listening on the podcast, thank you so much. And, and I hope you've really gained something. I'm sure you have I mean, some, some amazing information that Renee shared with us. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube and um, you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button and click the little bell notification icon so you get all the updates of our recent videos. And yes, as Renee said, hit the like button too. Um, if you've got any questions, you know, comment down below um, and we'll get to them um, as best as we can. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I'll say thank you so much. Renee. Any final words? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. Um, as you can tell, I talk a lot. I'm very passionate and I just <laughs> love what you guys are doing and, you know, being able to support that and getting out things that can actually help people. So thank yeah, you for your support absolutely. as well. I, I sincerely hope we get to meet uh, sooner rather than later. Um, um, but keep up all the amazing work that you're doing as well and um, all the great resources that you're sharing with everyone. Um, um, and again, thank you so much for your time. For everyone who's watching, make sure you eat plants and lots of them. Take care. <laughs>